Hey Memphis, welcome to the weekend. Welcome to Friday, y'all. Welcome to Memphis Flyer Radio. My name is Toby Sells. I am a reporter with the Memphis Flyer and the host of this here radio show that is recorded, mixed, mastered, and sunbaked for you this week down at Flyer HQ right here on beautiful Cotton Road downtown. It offers lovely views and the sounds of the demolition machines slowly but surely tearing down the old uh, Memphis fire station down here to make way for the new Brooks on the Bluff Art Museum. It is an insane spectacle. So if you hear uh, some, some rumbling noises in the show this week, that is why. We are beamed into the sky and into your radio from the center of the universe Crosstown Concourse. And it's WYXR radio station at 91.7 FM. Thank you to all the good folks over there making great community radio happen. Now, if you haven't already, consider a donation to the station at WYXR.org. And this show comes to you, of course, from the people and the pages of the Memphis Flyer, your alternative news weekly based right here in good old Memphis, Tennessee, USA. And if you like what we do, please consider joining our frequent Flyer Club. That is where you can support local and alternative journalism right here in your town. More details on all of that are over at memphisflyer.com. Now this week's cover story is all about mental health in Memphis. You have seen this, experienced it, you know what we're talking about. The story is written by our own Chris McCoy. And he explores the topic with the help of mental health professionals from all over the city. Yes, COVID was a part of that, but it's so much more you're going to want to stick around to hear him. Also, Just City Executive Director Josh Spickler talks to us about what changes we will likely see in the first month of Steve Mulroy's turn as the county's new District Attorney General. We'll have some news and the Memornet, and we'll have some choice cuts from our calendar, the finest events calendar in all of Memphiana to help you get your weekend together. Okay, folks, that is it. Here we go. Gonna start the show this week just like we do each and every week with a look down the streets of the Memornet. Y'all know that is Memphis on the internet. MLGW shirt redux. Oh my gosh, Memphis consumers now have choices when selecting a t-shirt satirizing Memphis light gas and water's high energy bills, Bluff City Tea introduced the shirt that you can see in the paper with this on-the-nose description of the energy situation. It says, In the M, everyone knows the name of our friendly neighborhood stick-up artist and community thief. It's none other than MLGW. They've been robbing the Bluff City residents since 1939, and this year they've lost their minds. Now that is them saying it, not me, not the flyer, not WYXR. Go to the paper and check that one out. The t-shirt is really, really great. This uh, That shirt joins the one that was introduced earlier that says MLGW. Maine, let me get your wallet. Tweet of the Week comes from Midtown Buck. He said, here's a City of Memphis or MLGW contractor relieving himself in my front yard. Do I get some kind of discount since he's not using my sewer line? MLGW quickly responded to the tweet and said, Good morning. I apologize for this. Do you happen to have a photo of the truck you can send me, please? And there's a picture in the paper of the man doing his business. 
And the Memphis Seven. The Memphis Seven won and are being reinstated with a whole bunch of exclamation points. That was the tweet from the Memphis Seven last week after a judge ordered Starbucks to give them their jobs back. They were fired from Starbucks for union organizing activities. Have a look at some news from our state desk. We don't really have one of those. It's just a fancy way to say I wrote about state news this week. A jury convicted a black man in a Tennessee jury room decked out in Confederate portraits, flags, and memorabilia, and a panel of high-ranking Tennessee judges ruled that this is perfectly fine. The Tennessee Criminal Court of Appeals failed to grant a new trial to Barry Jamal Martin in an opinion made public last week. The opinion came from a conviction from the Giles County Circuit Court. Pulaski, the Giles County seat, is known as the birthplace of the Ku Klux Klan, and Martin's jury deliberated his fate in what court papers call simply the Confederate Room. Martin was convicted of possession of cocaine, cannabis, and drug paraphernalia, and he was sentenced to 12 years in confinement. His attorney argued he should get a new trial for many legal reasons concerning evidence, trial errors, and more. But his attorney also argued Martin should be given a new trial because jurors sitting in the, quote, Confederate room were exposed to racist ideas that could have swayed their decisions. The frosted glass top panel of the jury room displays the Confederate flag, and it reads UDC room in gold lettering. UDC stands for United Daughters of the Confederacy, the group that supplied the memorabilia for the room. And the room had two Confederate flags, portraits of Confederate leaders, and Confederate documents in it. In June, Giles County and the UDC successfully won approval from the Tennessee Historical Commission to move the items from the jury room to the National Confederate Museum in Elm Springs Mansion that's outside of Columbia, Tennessee. It was not immediately clear if the items had already been moved out. The move to remove the Confederate memorabilia came after another black man, Tim Gilbert, won a new trial in December, arguing that the jury in his case was influenced by the items in the room. A different panel of judges with the Tennessee Court of Appeals approved the new trial and vacated his conviction. That court panel decided the Confederate flag communicated black subjugation was government speech because it was displayed in a government courthouse and that speech exposed the jury in the Gilbert case to, quote, improper outside influence. But in the Martin case, a different panel of appeals court judges disagreed. Its ruling said that, quote, the memorabilia in the jury room did not pertain to the defendant, to any fact of the case, or to the rules that apply to a criminal trial. Further, the panel said they questioned, quote, whether the average citizen would recognize the portraits of Jefferson Davis or John C. Brown, the insignia for the United Daughters of the Confederacy, or the third national flag of the Confederate States of America. However, the well-known Confederate battle flag was framed and on display in the room. Quote, While we certainly do not condone the presence of the memorabilia in the jury room, we conclude that the defendant failed to show that any spe specific extraneous prejudicial information was improperly brought to the jury's attention or improperly brought to bear upon any juror or grand juror, reads the opinion. Therefore, no unequivocal rule of law was breached. The Washington-based Council on American-Islamic Relations said the ruling could hinder justice for other black defendants in the future. 
They said the idea that a black defendant could receive a fair trial in a room adorned with symbols of white supremacy and slavery is preposterous, and that that fact should have been recognized by the court. This ruling may unfortunately prevent a necessary re-examination of possible unjust, biased convictions of black defendants. Chris McCoy, you know him as our film and TV editor over here at the Memphis Flyer. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me. This week you dove into a very important and very serious topic, mental health care in Memphis and in Tennessee and well, and really across the globe. You, you say it's a mental health care crisis. Why would you say that? Well, I wasn't the first person to call it a crisis. The okay. World Health Organization did, and they pointed out that after the COVID, like there's been a huge spike in depression, anxiety, and really, you know, mental health problems of all kinds. And part of that was from, you know, basically a year of isolation for right. a lot of people. Or if you weren't in isolation, you were on the front lines out there and you were worried about getting sick. So it's just a year of constant stress, you know, and well, more than that, really. Right. And it became acute for young people because they were out of school for, you know, a year, right. which we had to do in order to try and keep everybody safe because we did not know what this disease was going to, how this disease was going to act. That's it was right. A, it was a novel virus, which was, you know, the problem. But it has, you know, it has had unintended consequences. And now there's a lot of people dealing with that. Right. Uh, the World Health Organization did point out young people were bearing the brunt of the anxiety and depression and self-harm and oh. all kinds of issues like that. So what I wanted to do was localize this and like, let's talk, this is clearly a global issue, but we want to see how it's playing out here in, in Memphis and what you know, what, if anything, can be done about it. I talked to a lot of people on the ground who were directly, who are either mental health professionals or were directly affected by it. I talked to one woman who asked to, to remain anonymous, who had searched for nine months for her, for health care for her child who was right. self-harming. And that just seems like way too long to wait for a, a child in that situation. You know, in her case, it, it has worked out you know, so far. But but that story is not uncommon. Right. And one of the problems is that we have a major shortage of mental health professionals right now, therapists, social workers, counselors, all, uh, everybody in that field. And a lot of local therapists and counselors have just completely stopped taking health insurance of any kind. Right. And so Medicare health insurance will usually give you like $65 an hour for a therapy session. And for juvenile mental health, especially right now, people in private practice are charging, you know, $150, $175 an hour. For an hour, yeah. And they can get it. Sure. Because people are desperate. And a lot of these a lot of these therapists around town, they're not taking any new patients, and that's a new thing, right? Absolutely, yes. I, one of the people I spoke with was Laurie Powell, who's the CEO of Alliance Healthcare Services, and she contract her company contracts with the state to provide ten care and Medicare patients for with mental health care services. And she that you know, she's she started out as a therapist in Orange Mound in nineteen ninety three and she was like, I've I've never seen like so many practices just you know saying we're not taking new new clients right. at all so and and it's not just you know COVID either it, you know I, there has been a, a burst of violence 
that we've seen right. that a lot of people have talked. And I talked to Charlie Caswell, who is now the commissioner-elect for District 6 in mm-hmm. Shelby County, who ran the League of Legends CDC in Fraser, And he's been very adamant and active with trauma-based care and trying to, to help people recognize that you know a lot of the mental health problems that we're seeing come from unaddressed trauma. And he's been, he's been really successful in the black community trying to spread that word because there's, you know, there's been a big stigma against trying to get mental health right. care or, try, or just admitting that you have a problem. And that's one of the reasons that I, I called the story, it's okay to not be okay. Because we want to get that word out, not, you know, to everybody that it's not just a lot of people are, are struggling right now and it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to admit that you know it's not admitting weakness as you know mr caswell said to me you know it's it's not big weakness this is strength this is like i have to go yeah i, I have to to take care of myself in order so that i can take care of you that's right and take care of the community but it is very difficult yeah, you you outline here in the in the story. I mean, it's uh, even Mr. Caswell said that uh, even before COVID, things weren't normal in in Memphis and Shelby County. And then you add that added stress on top of that, and it's just a a, a whole new level of things. But you talked to a really great diverse group of people. Another was uh, Bridges over there that work with young people and and some of the work that they're doing to help. And you talked to this. It was really interesting. What was his name? Abdullah Alahi from MUS. I'm Abdullah. If I said your last name wrong, I apologize a thousand times. But he formed. A group at MU to talk about what you're saying that it's okay to not be okay. Yeah, it was. It wasn't a group at MUS. Oh, okay. it, it is a, a group of young people, young leaders from across the county that oh, okay. meet with Bridges. Yeah, and they they did some research and they also decided what policies that they wanted to advocate for. And their biggest success so far has been getting reset rooms in the schools. And what that is is if you if there's a kid who is having trouble concentrating or is acting out or just is, you know, about to blow their top, normally they would be sent to, you know, the principal's office or they'd be sent to detention or whatever. This program, the reset rooms, they have a room where they can go and they can, it's, it's not a judgmental thing. They can go and they can, they can chill out for a minute. There will be counselors available there. Sometimes there'll be peer counselors available there to just, and this is valuable because it's something that, that, that the kids were asking for. And it has evidence-based studies have indicated that, that it works. But it also is like, the, you know, bad behavior or, you know, I was a kid. Sure. You were a kid. You know, kids act up. It's mm-hmm. okay. But too often, especially for, you know, minority populations or for, for you know, black kids, they will get their their just run-of-the-mill bad behavior will end up being criminalized right you know and they'll get suspended and they and if you're suspended from school you're more likely to drop out of school and you know the reset rooms which have been a great success by every everyone that talks about them will will at least like give you know give these kids a chance yeah like it's not criminalizing their their mental health problems and it's also you know and as was pointed out several times to me, there's a lot of situational anxiety and depression going on right now. And it just gives people a chance to, you know, it's like sometimes these people are not going to need lifelong mental health right. 
health services. They just need a counselor right now. They need somebody to talk to, right. somebody to take their concerns seriously. And that's and as you know, several people said to me also, there you know, there's a whole population of kids that if they don't get any mental health care in the schools, they're not going to get anywhere. That's it's right. not going to be available for them at all. Sure. And um, so it's it's at least you know it's a step. It's, right. It's a it's a first step. And I saw, you know, several I mean, the problem is being addressed by several organizations and by the state. You know, there's a there's as I point out in the story, there's a huge new tranche of funding coming for mental health care and to, you know, help raise reimbursement rates and to help, you know, give people raises so that they'll I mean, I mean, that's a tough job. Right. You know, I I one of the advantages of our job is I get to talk to a lot of different people in a lot of different walks of life. I mean, that's what I like about about it. Mm-hmm. And you get to learn about so many different kinds of things. But the folks who, you know, are on the front lines of the mental health care fight right now and who are, you know, listening to trauma all day, I mean, it's a hard job. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a, you know, it takes and, a really special kind of person to be able to do that and job and do it be, well. Exactly. And if you're good at it, you need to be rewarded that's for, your, right. for it. And so that's, that's a big step, too. There's also, I talked to Dr. Troutman, who is opening a new clinic at 6601 Poplar, that will be taking health insurance. Okay. Yeah, and they're going to start out with three doctors and expand from there. He's he says he believes that there's a huge that, that expanding is not going to be a problem for them because there's going to be a huge undressed need. Absolutely. Out there, so there there are signs of progress, but it's also like you know the problem is huge. Absolutely, it is. But you know that's what sort of really liked about the story this week. Uh, go to memphisflyer.com right now and read it, or pick it up on the newsstands. It's great because it does kind of lay out this dire situation, it tells you the back context of how we got there, and that uh, you know everybody's having this problem. But there at the end, a really big rays of hope down the road. Uh, the state of Tennessee, uh, Governor Lee, and the legislature they invested six hundred fifty million dollars in mental health services in Tennessee across the state. Memphis is, is due to get a big slice of that one. You're probably not going to hear many Memphis Flyer folk ever congratulate and thank Bill Lee or our legislature, but here is an example of something great that they've done. I think it's wonderful. Hey, you know, we give credit where it's due. That's, that's right. That's our job. You know, we criticize when it's warranted and we give credit where it's due. And they, you know, it certainly seems like this is an area where people are stepping up right now. I think it's not just, and it's not just Memphis. It's it's all over. You know, we we have the biggest crisis intervention you know center here, and but it's not just us. And there's a lot of people in rural Tennessee who don't have you know whose access to mental health care is even worse than this. That's it is. right. That's right. So it, it's it's a big problem. But once again, you know, let's sign off by saying if you if you're having problems, if you are considering suicide, if you are self harming, or if you know somebody that is, you know, extend some empathy to yourself and get help. You know. It's, it might be a struggle, but don't give up because hopefully there's help on the way. Absolutely. That is well said. The story is called It's Okay Not to Not Be Okay by our own Chris McCoy. Very serious, very important story. Go out and read it right now on memphisflyer.com or in the newsstands. Chris, thank you so much for this great reporting. Thank you, Toby. Let's get our calendar out here, see if we can't find some stuff to help you get your weekend together. The Musical History of Royal Studios, narrated by Boo Mitchell. 
Boo Mitchell and High Rhythm will take you on a musically guided journey of the more than 60-year history of Willie Mitchell and his iconic Royal Studios. Hear the stories and the music that made Royal one of the biggest producers of soul music and the current hits that cement Royal's hit-making ability for future generations. The night will feature musical performances by Grammy-nominated High Rhythm, Marcus Scott, and many more guest artists from the classic music of Willie Mitchell, Al Green, Ann Peebles, Otis Clay, and O.V. Wright to the current Royal hit, Uptown Funk, and more. This is the Musical History of Royal Studios. This is tonight at the Halloran Center. Starts at 7.30 p.m. Tickets are $37.50. Grind City Fest. Attendees will enjoy a mix of performances by national, regional, and local blues and bluegrass artists. Scheduled performers include Green Sky Bluegrass, the infamous String Dusters, Here Come the Mummies, the Traveling McCurries, Sack Squatch, Kyle Nix and the 38s, and the Wild Feathers. This is a Grind City Fest, Grind City Brewing Company, Friday and Saturday, August 26 to 27. You can get a one-day pass for 35 bucks, or you can get a two-day pass for $65, or enjoy the VIP tickets for $125. Guys and Dolls is on the stage at Theater Memphis. Fun and Sassy, this Manhattan-based musical romantic comedy, tells the overlapping stories of high roller Sky Masterson and rapscallion gambler Nathan Detroit. As they look to set up the largest craps game in town, they are derailed, respectively, by two women, a straight-laced missionary and a headliner at the Hot Box Club. All the shenanigans of these seemingly incompatible couples take us from the heart of Times Square to the cafes of Havana, Cuba, and eventually everyone ends up right where they belong. This is Guys and Dolls Theater Memphis. Performances run through September 11th. Tickets are $35. And this weekend is Wiseacre's ninth birthday celebration. Celebrate Wiseacre's ninth lap around the sun at both locations with bands, Food trucks and, of course, beer. This is a Friday. Tonight starts at 6 p.m. at a Wiseacre Brewery, either the OG over on Broad or the one downtown. Seventh Annual Indie Memphis Youth Film Fest. It's an all-day event featuring filmmaking workshops and screenings of short films made by students. All screenings and workshops are completely free to students. This is Saturday, August 27th. It runs from 9.30 a.m. to 8.15 p.m., so that's all day at the Halloran Center. And this is a good one, the R-rated comedy show, Don't Be a Menace. This is an adult stand-up comedy show infused with hip-hop and R&B, with this edition taking you on a ride to South Memphis. This is tonight and tomorrow night up at the Comedy Junt. Tickets are $20. Also tonight, the Focus Awards. They are the Mid-South's premier awards for recognizing LGBTQ plus persons and allies. This is tonight, 6.30 to 9 p.m. at the Memphis Brooks Museum of Art. All right, folks, lots of stuff to keep you busy this weekend and tons of other events either online at memphisflyer.com or in the paper this week on the rack. Y'all go check it out. If you get bored, it's your own fault. Y'all go have a great time this weekend and stay safe. Josh Spickler is the executive director of Just City. That is a criminal reform advocacy group based in Memphis. For a long time, he and his group have pushed for reform of the money bail system. For too long, he says, people here have been locked up and can't get out only because they can't afford to. This means people with means get to walk free until their trial, while poor people have to sit behind bars. A new system announced this week will change that. 
A new standing bail order was announced by uh, a group of Shelby County judges. That order lays out a new bail system in which lawyers and judicial officers will decide the best way forward on bail on a case-by-case basis. Do we set bail at all? Do we set a lower bail? Do we do something else? Spickler calls this big news and said that our order here is one of the best in the country. The new order comes as Steve Mulroy begins his tenure as Shelby County District Attorney. Spickler is on Mulroy's transition team as his work begins. And we caught up with Spickler to tell us what real-world changes we might expect at the beginning of Mulroy's term. Please pardon the audio quality. It's not great, but I really wanted to share Spickler's thoughts with you. In what way do you think that this election is going to change things in the real world real soon? Well, as someone who's been talking with Steve pretty regularly through the course of the campaign and since he was elected, I think that the first thing to note is what's not going to change, and that is a priority of public safety, a priority of addressing violent crime in this community. I mean, Steve campaigned on that, and everything that he is doing and saying since the election is about that. It's about keeping a focus from the DA's office and the criminal legal system at large on the, the problem of violent crime. So he's going to prioritize that. That won't change. And, you know, I think we can talk a lot about how to do that and how he might do it differently from his predecessor, but he will he will be focusing on that because that's what he promised to do and that's what he's going to do. You know, in terms of what kind of reforms and, and as you said, like day-to-day visible changes, I think I think you'll very quickly see just because of good fortune and some some timing hit an, a different approach in pre-trial detention with regard to the use of money bail you know steve campaigned on his willingness and desire to reform that and so it just so happens that there will be an announcement that the advocates who sent the demand letter to shelby county and shelby county have come to an agreement i mean if you've been following it there's there's been some news about the, uh, the county resolution that was signed a few weeks ago and just last week the general sessions judges signed a standing bail order which is really big news it's one of the best in my opinion of course i'm, I'm a little bit biased but it's one of the best standing bail orders definitely in tennessee maybe in the country and a standing bail order is just a it, it's a it's a plan put in place and agreed upon by all judges in in that jurisdiction so all of our general sessions judges who are the ones mostly in charge of setting bail where they agree to do it in a certain way and so they've agreed to change the way they do it they agreed to actually have hearings to have, have attorneys present at those hearings and so that's where steve comes in right steve's office right from the beginning and when he takes office is going to have a new responsibility and a new obligation with regard to setting bail. And as Steve has said in his campaign, he believes that fewer people should be held on unaffordable money bail. And so we'll we'll begin to see that in those bail hearings, in this bail hearing room that is new. So that's a big one. And again, it's just it's sort of good timing and, and good fortune that, that it happens to coincide with the beginning of his tenure. There's no way we anyone could have planned that, but it's how it's going to look. Now, how is this going to look and work in real life? It will be based on what is best for the community and what is best for that person at, at the time. And that will be determined after a hearing, which is something we don't do currently, right? We don't have a contested bail hearing where two attorneys are, are, are presenting evidence about why someone should be released when they're arrested and why someone should be detained right, and letting a magistrate decide, a judicial commissioner decide. So, but yeah, there'll be new standards for how we do that and, and that we're just not currently using. We're, we're defaulting to 
a dollar amount almost 76 or 77 percent of the time in this current system when state law says the first thing that should be considered as release. You, you start with the presumption that everyone, except for someone charged with capital murder, which is very, very rare, you start with the presumption in Tennessee that everyone who gets arrested can be released. And then it's up to the state of Tennessee to, to prove that, that that is not, in fact, true, that there may be other ways to release someone that are a little more restrictive. And money bail is one of those ways, releasing someone with certain requirements, like checking in with pretrial services employee, or you know, you can get all the way to the sort of electronic monitoring, although we hope that that doesn't expand too much. And so there are all sorts of ways to release someone aside, aside from setting them a dollar amount that they can't afford. And that includes setting a dollar amount that they can afford. And that's what this bail order and in, in, in resolution that the county commission passed say is that you have to consider these other ways. And so, and then when it, you finally get to the consideration of bail, it has to be set after the accused person has an attorney, the state of Tennessee has an attorney, and a, and a impartial magistrate sitting in the middle makes a decision that the only way we can ensure public safety and ensure that this person comes back, back to court is to set a bail. And that's when bail should be used. Unaffordable bail should be used. And that's very different from how we do it right now. The shorter version of that, real quick, is just that this is a good thing for the community and for public safety, right? Because the, the data show, and Steve has, has said this over and over and over again, that, that he's going to follow evidence and follow the data. And data tell us that that the longer someone stays in pretrial detention, the more likely they are to come back to jail and to the criminal legal system in the future. So doing this is not something that people should see as more risky, right? As, as being quote, soft on crime. This is an action. This is an act. This is a reform that will keep us safer. And, and that is not Steve's opinion. That is not my opinion. That is proven in communities across the country. It's hard to cut through the media narrative a lot of times and, and, and the, just the general narrative and in our own sort of sense of what we think might might be true. It's hard to get through that, but jail is not a good place for someone to be who we don't want to be back there again in the future. And so the more we can do to keep that time short, safer we'll be. This is all about safety. This is not about letting people out who are accused of doing things. It's about safety, and that's why it's a priority for Steve, and that's why it should be a priority for this community. What other changes can we expect? If you want to go beyond bail, I mean, you know, Steve has also committed to a, a conviction review unit, which I think is a priority of his over the first few months. And that means he's going to put a team in place in, in his office that he's not going to just look at convictions. Often when we talk about this type of work, it's about looking for wrongful convictions, looking to overturn something, perhaps with DNA. Steve's pledged to also look at sentences that might be inappropriate, that might be far too punitive. And he's going to have a team in place before longer that uh, that addresses that so that's exciting what else do you think that we'll see in uh, Mulroy's tenure he has pledged to not only build an office that looks more like Shelby County but also understand why it is that can, outcomes continue to be different for for people of color versus versus white people so you know those will be his focus but there's plenty of evidence to suggest that all of that leads to safer, healthier communities, and that's the ultimate priority. And that, you know, is is no different from any DA. Hopefully, any DA's job is to keep us safer, and that's what Steve's going to do.
Josh Spickler, again, he is the executive director of Just City, a criminal reform advocacy group based here in Memphis. He's a member of Steve Mulroy's transition team as he takes office as Shelby County's new district attorney general. Folks, that is going to do it for my half of the show, the talk half of Memphis Flyer Radio. you got to stick around for the second half, though, the better half of the show. That is where our music editor, Alex Green, is going to be spinning you some records, telling you some tales, and he's going to sound daggum good doing it. I promise you that. All right, folks, y'all have a great weekend. Alex, take it away. Thank you. Thank you.